Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Try Faster Podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm joined by my friend and coach, Keith Kotar. How are you doing, Keith? Good, Michael. How are you? Doing really good. Happy to be back. It's been a while since we were able to do a podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to Try Faster before, this is a podcast where we dive into everything triathlon. We get into specific training and coaching. Uh, we discuss current triathlon news. Um, but first, kind of in our coaching segment, just for a little bit of additional detail, Today, we're talking about the quality long workout. Uh, and for me, as an athlete that was self-coached for a very long time, this was something that was missing in my training plan. Um, so if this is something you haven't heard of or you're not doing, then you're going to really love this podcast. Uh, we also have questions about fitness testing, early season races, and multiple race recaps to discuss. But first, let's talk about some training updates. Keith, how's everything been going for you? It's been really good. Training's been great. I've, I've actually had some time to get some good training in and, uh, yeah, I'm starting to get in shape. Our first local triathlon is this coming weekend. So we're pretty excited about that. We've got a lot of people going to race. I think we've got uh, in our club, 27 people racing, uh, four different triathlons this weekend. So we're, we're all excited to get going. Um, I did have a, a race a couple weeks ago. I ran our, the 10 K at our local marathon and I was able to get a win there, which was pretty nice. Kind of just an early season, get, get the legs going. Um, and I thought that was going to translate to hopefully a 5k PR last weekend. And I went did out, you do it? I, I did not, uh -huh. <laughs> um, I think, I don't know if we touched on it. Maybe it was post post recording. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but, um, I went out at about 250 per K pace, which was 14, 15, 14, 25 K pace. And I blew up pretty good at about halfway and ended up running my slowest 5k at quite a while <laughs> so uh yeah i went through the half on pace for about 1505 and then i ended up only running 1610 so it was a pretty bad blow up you gotta but, be brave uh, yeah i you figured i might as well try uh and see what happens uh, there's a big race in dallas and they put up some good money and uh, the winning time was 1417 so the competition was there uh, but there was a, there was kind of a, a breakaway group and then there was a huge gap to me and then a huge gap to the next person. And so I was just kind of running in a, in a void and it was a time trial, a solo time trial, unfortunately. Oh, okay. So how's that? How's training for you? Getting inconsistent. Oh yeah. So uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, my wife and I welcomed our second child, little baby Lucy earlier this year in January. Um, so that's why the podcast has been a little hit and miss lately. I'll take the blame for that. Uh, sorry, everybody. But yeah, the, the sleep is getting much better. Um, we've been getting like four or five hours at night pretty consistently, which is enough to make me feel like Superman at this point in time. Uh, and yeah, nothing to complain about on that front. I would say I'll, I'll stand up for everybody that doesn't live in the Southern part of the country, Keith, we don't have races going on up here yet. So I have not been doing any racing, definitely not fit enough. Um, I would definitely still categorize my training and it's kind of in the base phase of things, getting a little bit more speed going, obviously you're giving me all those workouts, but it's finally starting to warm up a little bit up here in Illinois. Uh, I've done more workouts outdoors this week than I have in the last couple of weeks, which is our last couple of months, I should say, which is awesome. And I'm finally starting to look at the calendar and start to put in some races, not nothing that I would consider my a race, right? My a race this year is hundred percent eyes on the Chicago marathon going sub three. Uh, but looking at filling in some other gaps, like, Hey, where am I going to get, uh, 
a half marathon training run in, or where am I going to get any of the bike racing that I want to do in? Uh, so right now what I'm looking at, um, first week of April, first weekend of April is to do a hundred K gravel ride. So talk a lot about gravel on this podcast and I'm going to take my gravel bike out, ride with some, uh, teammates up here for the local club that I ride with and have a good time. It sounds like fun. I'll, eventually I'll get on that someday. You really, yeah. You don't have a gravel bike yet? Not yet. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even going to get a gravel bike soon. I'm, I'm going to fix my cyclocross bike. That's been mm. kind of neglected for a while. Okay. Well, yeah, all right. Our next podcast is. Our next podcast is going to be why every triathlete needs to have a gravel bike. So everyone make sure to, to stay tuned for that one. Uh, but like I said, at the beginning, this one is really about the, I, I call it the quality long workout. And I already mentioned, I didn't do any of this when I was a self-coach athlete, because I always had the mindset that things need to be like my long workout or my easy workouts just need to be long and or easy. And then when I built my own plans, Hey, put this thing together in a polarized approach. My hard workouts were, were really kind of separate, shorter, very hard. Um, so, uh, working with you, Keith, I've, I've realized that I wasn't doing things right. Um, and I need, I need these quality long workouts, but didn't know how to do it. So help others help everyone here, Keith, what are we talking about when, when we say these quality long workouts? So I, I look at this as the strength endurance phase of training. And I think some of the other kind of high, higher profile Ironman or, or long course coaches, that's what they would call this. And so in one of our previous episodes, we talked about speed and then what, what speed does for you. And we had talked about how you kind of do some workouts at top speed, and then those will turn into VO2 max type workouts if we're looking at a reverse periodization model. And so this is kind of the next step after that that VO2 specific phase where we're starting to get that strength to be able to hold, you know, a higher end effort for a long time, but it's going to be a high end effort that's still below your threshold. And so uh, we like to do this in, in all three sports and we'll spend um, a few weeks doing this, but depending on what your A race is. So um, like we had talked about in the speed episode, you do the speed first and that gets you some technique that's going to increase your maximum capacity and that should hopefully make these workouts feel like they're a little bit easier, but now instead of doing intervals that are, you know, anywhere from 10 seconds to three minutes, now we're talking about building up intervals that are 15, 20, even 30 minutes long, um, at a, at an effort that is probably going to be about your Olympic distance or your 70.3 effort, depending on, on what level of athlete you are, but something that you could easily sustain for about two hours, kind of in that sweet spot. Or maybe um, if you're used to the sweet spot type of training, it would be just below that, that area. It's so funny. Like that, that we're talking about this topic now has been on deck for us to chat on it. And then I don't, I don't know if anyone that's listening is also paying attention on, on YouTube. If you check out Lionel Sanders videos and how he's so open about his training and he he's literally talking about this exact topic in his most recent video, you can go and check it out. And if you don't watch any of his videos, definitely, definitely a worthwhile athlete because he is so open about what he's doing. He talked about, uh, and this is kind of like his, his, his lesson learned is like historically. Um, and he always, he posts everything he does online, but his workouts would be either a extremely long, uh, like, you know, pretty much doing an Ironman in training 
or B, he'd be posting a workout where it was him just doing 450 watt intervals or 500 watt intervals uh, over and over again, and pretty much until exhaustion, but never really training in those zones you're talking about an Olympic pace effort or a 70.3 effort. And he says in that, in the most recent video that that's exactly what his coach is having him do now. And you really think that that's going to pay huge dividends for him uh, come this year that we might see a new Lionel Sanders because of it. It's crazy to think like, you can literally get to the top of the sport right. without addressing this type of training. Right. And I think that this is kind of the, the training intensity that people are scared of because they think it's that gray area, not too, not too hard and, and not slow enough to be an easy workout, especially mm -hmm. if you're, if you're looking at like the, the hip 80, 20 or polarized training model. Right. But if you are, uh, if you look at a lot of the training, especially like Kenyan marathoners, they don't really ever run marathon pace, but they spend lots of time running five K pace and faster. And then they spend lots of time running really, really slow. But a lot of their longer workouts are generally broken up intervals at half marathon effort, because for them, that's right around their threshold, uh, we, we all obviously can't run a half marathon in 58 <laughs> minutes, but um, that's right there in that that's just under their threshold and that you can sustain for a while. And I think a lot of triathletes, you'd probably be surprised that you can ride 95% of your threshold a lot longer than you think. Um, and it's very, very comfortable as long as your threshold number is accurate. Um, whereas, you know, just being a little bit over your threshold, that starts to add up really fast. And so what we're doing is we're just getting under being underneath your threshold. And depending on the workout, we're probably between 80 and 95%. And we're just trying to kind of bump up your threshold, but at the same time, just get stronger at that, that, uh, in between pace. Um, yeah. I, I heard, uh, Hunter Allen on a podcast a few years ago, and he said, if you're trying to pick up a table, right. And if the table is your, your threshold, are you going to pick up the table from the top or are you going to pick it up right underneath the tabletop? Right. And so it's the same sort of thing where we're spending some time right underneath your threshold. And that's actually what pushes your threshold higher. It's not the training that you do above your threshold. That's a creative analogy. I don't think I would have ever thought of something like that, um, but it just makes a whole lot of sense. And that feels like, you know, I was a self coach athlete for such a long time and it feels silly to be like, you know, Hey, I'm going to do my intervals uh, at 350 Watts. And then I'm going to do my easy rides at 200 Watts and then come race day. You know, I've spent 10 minutes over the last two months riding at 250 Watts, but I'm going to hold that for two plus hours and then hope to run well. Like it just, it never happened for me. It never happened for me until this last year where I probably spent the most amount of time in that gray zone, actually training that, that muscular strength, then coming off the bike. I had the, every single I did three seventy point threes last year. Every single one of them was the best run I've ever had. Uh, and none of them, I think, um, were up to my capabilities. I think there's still a lot more there that we, that we're working on. So after the marathon, yeah, after the marathon, I'll be back. I'll be back a much better runner. I think like maybe I need to brand like in my own head, 2022 is, you know, the year of, uh, stop sucking at running, right? Like I got to stop sucking at running. Even though last year, 2021, I had the best runs I've ever had in triathlon. I still like when I run not in a triathlon, it's so much faster than a triathlon. Like the gap is too big. Yeah. And we can close that down. Yeah.
We're yeah. going to close it down. We're going to close it down. Okay. Uh, so how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, like, so for people that are listening, there's probably a lot of self-coach athletes out there. They want to incorporate this. What do they need to do? So I think there's, depending on what you're training for, uh, the way that we kind of look at, at this phase is if you are doing an Ironman, um, this would be kind of the second to last phase of training. And you're probably going to spend six or eight weeks here. Um, but if you're doing a 70.3, this might be the last phase of training because it's actually going to be really race specific um, because these strength endurance type intervals are going to be about your race pace. And so um, this will give you a gauge of how fast you can go in a 70.3. And um, if you're doing an Ironman, then we're kind of just getting ready for the really big, long Ironman workouts. That'll be a little bit slower than what you're doing in this phase. And so uh, for the athletes that I coach, generally we're going to spend somewhere between, like I said, six and eight weeks probably. And um, for the people that I have doing an Ironman, I like them to do a 70.3 about eight or 10 weeks out. And then that allows us to kind of do this phase, get in a 70.3 race and race well while we've done this specific sort of training before we switch to Ironman training and, you know, just lose, you know, one or 2% of that top end speed over the last few weeks in the, in the specific build. But I think what's going to happen also in this phase is you're going to get a lot fitter. You might not necessarily be getting in the big endurance and the big volume that you would do in the last phase, but you've done enough. You'll do enough endurance during this, that you're still getting fitter. You pile on the volume at the end and then you're ready for your, your Ironman. And so I like to do one workout a week in each sport in this phase. And um, just that could be, you know, spread them out appropriately. Uh, we sometimes there are combo workouts, so we might end up doing uh, something like four by 20 minutes at your 70.3 effort on the bike. And then you'll get off the bike and do four to six times a mile at your 70.3 run pace or power. And so we're doing both in one. And in that case, I would say don't do a separate workout during the week, but that's a good time to do like a VO2 max type workout on your weekday. And you know, I think we're also kind of in the the age of, you know, periodization is going away just a little bit. And and there's a little less periodization in, in everybody's training. And we're kind of, we you still have to make sure that you hit all the energy systems all year round. Doesn't necessarily have to be every week, but I usually, I look at everyone's training in a three week block or maybe a two week block, depending on the athlete. And you want to hit your top end at least once or twice you know, in every sport during those three weeks. So we might have like a VO2 run in the week one and a VO2 ride in week three, you know, uh, have a couple of swims in there. Swimming is the safest place to do that. Uh, and so when you're doing these long workouts, just make sure that it's not the only thing that you're doing during that phase. But I think this is also uh, a beneficial phase of training for everybody. So even if you're training for the Olympic distance, we can kind of do this right before the specific phase. It's just that for an Olympic distance type athlete, your specific phase, instead of going up in volume, you're going to go up in speed and kind of bring the volume down uh, as you get closer to that race pace. So it just yeah. depends on which side of the curve you're, you're coming from. At, like the one thought that's coming to my mind, trying to go back. And when you started to throw more of these into my own training plan was it's that we've talked about, it's a gray zone. It's well below threshold, something you should be able to hold for a while. But I remember those first couple, especially on the bike where it was like, 
you know, 90 minutes at what should have been my 70.3 race pace, a pace I should be able to get off the bike and run comfortably for. And it was just like, maybe it was only the bike workout, or maybe you gave me like a 10 minute runoff. I don't remember, but I, what I do remember is that those workouts were way harder at the beginning than what they were later on, because I didn't have the strength endurance that I needed. I didn't have that bank of quality long workouts to absorb that. So the only thing that comes to my mind is if you have a relatively polarized approach to your training program right now, the one thought might be is to ease into these. It might not be doing one of these every single week across all disciplines of the sport. If you're training for a triathlon, it might be one sport a week, or if you're just training for a single sport right now, do one a week, see how, how your legs are responding, do another one. I think if you're not used to it, these workouts will generate a lot of fatigue, similar to what a VO two type of workout might do. Uh, something that you would maybe even give yourself an easy day afterward, even though we're well below threshold, there's going to be fatigue that comes from this. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You'll probably feel these the next day. Uh, but again, if it's, if it's a couple days, if maybe it's the first time, if you're feeling a lot of fatigue for a couple of days, yeah. maybe you overdid it a little bit. And so, you know, you want to build into it slowly. And so for me, you know, if we're looking at your 70.3 effort, we might start somewhere just four by 10 minutes at 70.3 effort, which obviously is significantly shorter than anyone can do a 70.3 ride. But then as time goes on, that might become four by 20 minutes. And then maybe it's four by 25 minutes, four by 30 minutes. Right. And we're going to build, make sure you're building up to it slowly. Don't say, Hey, it takes me two and a half hours to do a 70.3 ride and go do five by 30 minutes at <laughs> 70.3 effort next weekend. So just make sure you're, you're building up to it slowly and you do, you do plan some recovery around these workouts because they are going to be long and, and taxing. Um, and I think maybe as in most age groupers, if you don't have time to have a 90 minute workout during the week, you know, these might be on the weekend. Uh, maybe you do a bike on one day and a run on another day, but then, you know, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, but then plan for two or three days of recovery. After that, you can get a big swim in on Tuesday and then kind of get back into a, a quality workout Wednesday or Thursday for the bike and the run. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The only last thing I'll say is for me, I love doing these on the trainer. If it was a bike, and if it was a run, I love being outside just because outside makes it feel a little easier on the run, but on the bike, I loved hitting the consistency of the power where everything around here is just windy. If you take a turn one direction, not the other direction, or I'm biking up in Wisconsin where there's a ton of rolling Hills. So the power consistency was a little tough. So I really loved doing them indoors because I just felt like these, when I looked at the training program, like help me, maybe I'm wrong at this Keith. I always thought like, these are key workouts of the week. Uh, and the VO two stuff, the easy stuff, those are always important. Other systems were working out, but this was a key workout every single time, whether it was a swim, bike or run. Uh, and I wanted to hit it perfectly. Right. And I think, uh, I think on both sides of it, if you're, if you're doing an Ironman and this is not your race specific phase and you want to nail it, go ahead and do it inside. But I think that sometimes if you're in a 70.3 build, you know, if you live somewhere where you can do it outside, um, maybe alternate inside, outside and get that groove on the trainer, you know, do one on the trainer one week, feel what it's like, and then go out the next week and do it outside because not all of the Ironman courses are, are going to be conducive to just sitting in at, 
at the same power. Right. So you can kind of get a feel for what it's going to be like in a, in a realistic setting. That's why I Zwift race. Cause yeah. that's how I, I, I race triathlons the way I Zwift. <laughs> that's why you have a hard time running off the bike. <laughs> <laughs> I die at the end. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's, let's jump to some of our questions. And for those of you that are just joining us, uh, for the first time, perhaps you can send Keith or I any questions you want on Instagram. You can find our Instagram handles in the, in the show notes. You can also just post any picture hashtag try faster podcast. We'll search those every week. We'll gather some of the questions that we find interesting or want to answer. So we have a handful of questions today. One of them kind of relates to what we were talking about, right? If we're talking about hitting in that gray zone, well, we kind of need to know what our threshold is. So the first question, Keith, how often should you fitness test? Meaning, and this, what I'm thinking is, you, you know, the 5k or 10k pace efforts, do you know how fast you can go or what's your FTP on the bike? How often do we need to do those type of tests? So I, I, I take a different approach to fitness testing with most of my athletes from like, they're different from each other. Um, I think the one thing that is different, especially here in Texas is that we get to race enough that I don't spend a lot of time fitness testing because we kind of know what they're capable of from the previous year. And we're just trying to kind of build to the next, you know, build the kind of the next block or the next, take it to the next step. Right. And so we're able to race enough here from March to November that I usually have a pretty good feel for what uh, most of the athletes I work with, like what they're capable of doing. Um, but in, I think during the off season, especially if you're not racing every four to six weeks, uh, maybe you're not, you know, if you feel like your workouts are getting really easy, then that's a sign that maybe you need to test. But I think there's plenty of time in between even two months apart is fine. Uh, but it also just kind of keep an eye on it. I think a lot of athletes too, you get to a point where you kind of know about, you know, what your threshold power is on the bike and, and what you could do in the pool. And so, or what you can do running. And so I think we can spread them out or at least have a decent estimation. I think if you're an athlete that tends to overestimate and you want to go really hard, then that's when you need to test and kind of keep yourself in check and do those tests a little bit more often. No coach. I think I have a 400 watt FTP. I think you're okay. wrong. <laughs> I, can tell. I can tell by your workouts. <laughs> Well, or, I mean, you also start, you're seeing these, these services like trainer road coming out with adaptive training, which is really cool. And they can kind of guesstimate your threshold based off indoor or outdoor workouts really neat. And they're, they're telling that they're telling their athletes and their platform to, that they never need to test anymore either. So I think that like same approach, if you have someone looking at your training, understanding, and you're providing feedback to the, the fitness testing is less important. When I look back though, two, three years ago, when I was predominantly a trainer road rider, it seemed like FTP testing or fitness testing was super important because that's the only way for you to communicate feedback back to whatever service or platform you were using. Um, same type of thing on Zwift because that's how the, the programs are built, but now they're, they're getting a little smarter, um, which is nice because who, who likes to do that crap anyway? Right. And the other, the only other thing too, about some of the fitness tests out there is, you know, if you're trying to get an accurate FTP, I, I feel like it's pretty easy to kind of skew the step test or, you know, if you kind of uh, lean on the, the higher end output, you could 
skew the 20 minute test too. And so I would prefer that athletes just do a one hour time trial. And then the thing is how, how often can you actually do that in training? And so yeah. that, that, I think that's a limiter too. No it's psychologically prescribe it because none of your athletes would stay with you if you kept time to do one hour fitness yes right and so for for me i, I would just much rather kind of see a try and then we could look at some data yeah and we'll figure it out um, yeah, exactly. if anything i would probably actually prescribe a run test more frequently uh, because we can build that's that you're not fresh for the run in a triathlon right mm. and and so then that could skew what your running ability is. But if you do your run test fresh, then that kind of gives us an idea. Um, but again, here people do running races over the winter a lot. We've got plenty of, of large races that go November, December, January. And so people, people race and we get, a, we get a good, good data from that. Yeah. Speaking of racing, here's the next two questions relate to racing. So this must be people from Texas. Uh, all right. So maybe we'll start with this one racing back-to-back weekends. You're, you're talking about a lot of racing availability. How do you handle maybe mentally approaching races from a back-to-back perspective and then physically like just setting yourself up to make the most out of that? So when I, when I read this the first time, I tried to think of all of the scenarios that you could be racing back-to-back. And I think there are probably four different scenarios and the the first scenario is that neither race matters and it's just like training races in which case i would say train normally up until the last 48 hours or so and they're just training races and you can train normally in between take a couple days to recover you can probably if they're a sunday race you know you can train hard through thursday and then kind of pick back up again tuesday or wednesday and then just have a couple hard days and then race I think the second scenario is probably that they are both a races. And so if that's the case, like, um, Ironman used to do this. They don't do it as often anymore, but they used to pair a lot of, of 70.3s, uh, that were geographically close to be on back-to-back weekends. So their pros could travel race one and then race another one. Um, and so in that case, I think you taper normally for the first one. And then in between, you kind of have to see, how you feel. You know, I've heard of a lot of pros saying that they can train hard by Tuesday after Sunday, 70.3. I'm not sure how you do that naturally, but, uh, then, you know, I've heard pros say, yeah, I can, I can race on Sunday after 70.3. I can train hard Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then race again on Sunday. And so I think that if they're both a races, the most important thing is nail the first one. And then the next step is make sure you adequately recover in between. So you might not have a lot of quality between the two races because you're not really going to lose fitness as long as you're, you know, kind of moving around and keeping up with the three sports. Um, you're also going to get a big fitness boost from the race the first weekend. Um, and so then the the next scenario is I think the first race is kind of a B type race and the second race is the A race. And in that case, you know, go into the first race, maybe not quite fully tapered, and then make sure that you race it at a level that's not going to uh, inhibit your ability to race again the next weekend. So, you know, whether that means really hitting the swim and the bike, and then maybe you're, you're tapering off the pace toward the last half of the run, you know, or something like that. Don't try to out sprint anybody to the finish line, 
Um, but just get into a rhythm, have a good race, have good transitions, kind of get the mindset and then taper the next week for the second race. Um, and then the last scenario is probably the one that matters the least. It's where you have the A race first and the second race doesn't matter at all. Then I would say taper for your A race. Don't do anything the next week and then just go race again. Have some fun. Yeah. Uh, I'd never done like really any, well, any A race back to back weekends. That's really interesting. I agree. At least from an age grouper perspective, there's no way for me to physically do that if they're important. I mean, like a stand the worst I've been after a race is like that standalone half marathon where you just get shredded. Your legs are dead. I'm sure a marathon's going to be pretty tough. And I couldn't even walk for five days. So uh, for me, back to back doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun. I'm hoping to get some experience with this though later this year uh, and do some like some crit series, maybe in Tele um, or some of the others that are around here. But I think biking is totally different than triathlon. So if you're thinking of doing a triathlon, anything with running, just so much harder on the body. If you're going to do bike riding and, or racing, probably a lot easier. Yeah, I think from a cycling perspective, that's that's not too bad. Even back-to-back days isn't too bad, bike racing. Yeah. But the the triathlon, I think we've mentioned this before, that kind of the general rule of thumb is to kind of look at like one day per mile of running. And that's kind of how I look at it. It's that, uh, that's not a hard and fast rule, and there's no science there behind that. But that's just kind of an experience thing for me is, you know, if it's a sprint try, it takes me maybe two or three days to kind of get feeling good again. An Olympic is about a week. Um, and then a 70.3 is a couple weeks. Um, I have raced 70.3s on back-to-back weekends and both experiences for me, I was pretty much the second race was fine until about 10 K to go on the run on the second week. Yeah. And yeah, that's, you just kind of feel dead. I never felt like I was still sore starting the race, but there was still some, some deadness in the legs hanging around. Yeah. Uh, again, more race talk. So the other question we have on, on the race side of things, Keith, is around early season racing, which is kind of, you know, we're really kicking off the season. We're going to talk about some some race recaps here to come. Um, the triathlon season is really getting going. How do you approach physically? Because we, we've talked, uh, well, I guess we've talked enough physical side of things, right? On coaching, preparing yourself and all that. But how do you approach mentally maybe the early season uh, races? Are these A races for athletes? do you think that they should be a races or, or should they, should they really be B or C like training prep races for something more to come later in the year? So I, I think there's, it depends on how you're looking at the early season races, but there are plenty of major races, you know, so to speak that people might be going to right now. So like for here in Texas, 70.3 Texas is two weeks from this weekend. And then Ironman Texas is three weeks after that. And so those are a races for people. I mean, they're, They've been training for, you know, all winter and, and that's the race. Right. And so I think too, if you're looking at a spring race like that, then it's a long course race. If this is you're an age grouper, you're going to just do two long course races all year. You can have an A race in the spring and be able to have another one in the fall. But I think that, you know, like the sprint try that we're all doing this weekend, it's not an A race for anyone. We're all just going to go have fun and we've got bigger races coming in the next couple of weeks. But uh, like, like I had said earlier, how periodization is kind of going away. Um, I think especially as you kind of get more and more into like up, up the ladder to the elite level type triathlon, uh, lots of guys are just getting really fit in April or May. And I think we can, you can kind of stay fit through September. You know, that doesn't mean you're not taking breaks in there, 
and kind of cycling down and then coming back up. But I think that, that you can peak a couple times per year. Uh, whereas people used to say, Oh, you know, it's just one big, one big peak, or maybe you try to peak more than once per year, then you can't do it. But you know, a calendar is semi-arbitrary because our bodies don't know, right. That one trip around the sun is a year. And so, you know, it's just like the week is an arbitrary amount of time. And so you can, you can peak longer than you think. And I think you can peak more times than you, than is traditionally thought during the year. Well, you're getting pretty philosophical with me there for a bit, Keith. Uh, my, my thought though is, yeah, like, you're right. But from a eight, from my perspective, again, age Cooper, Mike talking, <laughs> like, it's just hard to have more than one focus in 12 months. Right. When you have so much, yeah. when I have so much other things on my plate, that's why I have one focus this year. It's on the run. It's not a triathlon. Maybe I jump into a race. Uh, if it just works out scheduling wise is easy to get to and everything else. Uh, but it's just hard to have more than one focus. So for, so for me, maybe I'm like, maybe I'm traditional. Maybe I'm approaching this old school is like, you need to pick one race where when it comes time for scheduling challenges or your support system, everything else, like when you need to train, when you need to actually peak and, and put training as a priority from time to time, that's going to be the race you do it for every other race, maybe takes a backseat to other things that are happening in your life or the other people that, that you need to tend to. So, so that's how I see it. I'm being a little old school. Probably. I wish I could do more than one a race a year, but like, I don't know how I would manage it. You kind of had two last year, right? You kind of had that summer, summer build up, and then, and then you qualified for, for worlds and you had to go, go have a try. Yeah. But right? I, I tried, but it was like, it was later in the year and, uh, if I'm being honest, there were other things that happened where I was like, okay, I'm going to, I've already spent so much time training all the way up to June. And that was my a race. That's what I had always targeted. I wanted to have a good race, uh, in St. George again. I felt like I approached it with similar fitness, but it execution wasn't, as, wasn't as good. I don't know. I don't know. We could deep dive into that. That's another topic, but like, even then, even then there was, there, yeah, I agree. There was a big break but it just didn't feel the same. Right. It just didn't feel the same. So, yeah. And I think you have to, you have to look at the calendar. You have to look at what you could travel to, right. If, right. Especially if lots of people, your a races, they could be travel events, you know, sometimes they're local races, but it's, you never know. Um, but you do need to pl plan that year out and maybe plan some time downtime in between. Because, you know, if you do have a spring A race and then you're just kind of done until next spring, that's a really long time to not have another focus, I think. And so, yeah, yeah. if you're able to put, I think two good peaks is, is, a, is a nice number because you have enough time to come back down and then build up again. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not categorizing A and B accurately, but like for me, one A. Multiple Bs. I think that makes sense. Like have multiple Bs, which yeah. in my mind, I say a B race is one that you're going to train for. You're going to be focused on, but Hey, if work travel comes up, like that's gotta be, or if, or if like for some reason you need to take an unexpected week off, you're not going to beat yourself up about it. Whereas like right. an A race eight weeks beforehand, there's nothing that's going to get in your way. You're not taking an yeah. unexpected week off. Like you have to do the training to get right. whatever outcome you want out of that race. So, so that's how I, that's how I think about it. Right. And those V races are good stepping stones to, to gauge the fitness on the way. Yeah.
All right. So we've talked a bunch about training and races. Keith, I think it's time for you to give us our weekly workout. All right. So I'm going to do one workout in each sport that kind of talks about what these strength endurance workouts look like. And so we'll, uh, we'll start with the swim. And, you know, if you're an athlete that I coach, you've seen this, this set before, and we'll do some sets of two hundreds and you can end up, you know, we might start with just one set, like four by 200 or five by 200. And then uh, depending on what you're training for and, and who the athlete is, uh, we could have anywhere from two to four sets of four to six by 200. And just to kind of break up the monotony, we might take, you know, an extra minute rest between sets. We might throw on paddles and or buoy for one of the sets. Um, but these will be kind of at that 70.3 effort and uh, just enough to, it, it'll be about the same distance, maybe longer um, than your, your a priority race. Um, unless you're just uh, the only, the only difference would be probably like a draft legal athlete would be significantly farther than the race distance but we could be looking at anywhere from five to even 25, 200s in this workout and uh, just 20 seconds rest in between enough time to recover a little bit, kind of, you know, get your mind straight and then do it again. And just a little bit of rest in between. And then as the races get closer, you can add some specificity. So uh, sight, you know, every a couple times for 25, um, you can deck up and run around the pool after the last interval of every set before you take your extra rest. Uh, just something to make it a little bit more like a race. Um, we've even done this before with the trainer. So we'll do a big set of this and then jump on the bike and, you know, do a couple minutes at race pace and then do the next set, something like that. That's funny. Cause I was like, it, you want to tell everyone you're a triathlete without telling everyone you're a triathlete, right? Finish an interval, jump up on the deck and run around the pool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, the other thing you can do too, just to add a wrinkle to this is, you know, if you're training for a wetsuit swim, you know, go ahead and do this in your wetsuit. Um, you can even do this open water. We've, we've done this workout, um, in our group open water before we have a, about a 220 yard stretch in uh, one of our two open water venues. And we'll just go back and forth along the, the swim area line. And uh, you can stand at either end and take, take your 20 seconds and then swim back down. And so, you know, whatever you can do to get the, the, the physiological stimulus, but also to make it as race-like as possible helps. Um, and then on the bike, we kind of talked about this already, um, just some, some medium longer intervals. So these might not be as long as your Ironman type intervals. That could be 45 minutes up to two or two and a half hours, but you know, in that 15 to 30 minute range. And usually I try to build athletes up to at least something like six by 20 minutes. And we'll do this at 70.3 power and take five or seven minutes in between, uh, just long enough to take some nutrition, take a drink and then hit the next 20 minute interval. And then generally we run off the bike with that, uh, at least for a few minutes. And then on the run, uh, something similar would be, you know, somewhere between six and 10 times a mile, uh, or even one K maybe if you're on, on the newer side and these would be at about that 70.3 effort, just below your threshold, maybe, um, a little quicker than marathon effort. Um, if you're a two and a half hour or longer half marathoner, it's probably going to be about your, your half marathon effort and just a minute in between enough time. Again, take a drink, kind of mentally reset and then go, go into the next one. Yeah. Everybody that was, that's listening, do these workouts. These are so important. This really kind of hits on everything we were talking about. And these are some of the workouts I look forward to the most. 
all this, all this. I mean, you can change the numbers around, you can build them over time. You can add intervals. They're easy to, to kind of adjust if you're a self-coach athlete and, and just grow, um, those, those workouts every week, every block, uh, you'll be a stronger athlete for it for sure. Yeah. And I so. think, uh, I think in our plans, we're probably going to have a, a 70.3 training episode where we kind of walk through the phases and, and we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit more because it's, it's race specific. Yeah. Good stuff, Keith. Um, all right. I think that kind of covers our main topics and we're going to switch over to news. We have multiple races to, to recap. So we're going to run through those pretty quickly. One race to preview. It's still early season. Here's my short summary of the races we're about to recap. I think it's too early in the season to take too much away from these, but it's really exciting to start to see some of the big names in action. Um, competition's a little light in most of these races. There, there are some athletes pitted against each other, but the fields are a little bit thinner. Um, but again, still just exciting that, that we're starting to see some races. The first race we have to recap is 70.3 Dubai was supposed to be a real thriller again on the men's side. Cause Christian Blumenfeld was supposed to be, well, he was present um, and he swam close to the top guys, but we, we had a race with the top five swimmers coming out by themselves under 23 minutes, some amazing swims. Um, they ended up being the top five finishers overall. Christian Blumenfeld wasn't able to close the gap on the bike. And I believe what Keith, he flatted at some point as well. So he finished 16th, 17th in Dubai. Um, it didn't, didn't see the result that he wanted there. Yeah. He, he, uh, flatted around 60 K he had the 16th fastest ride with the flat, but he did run his way, um, up back into 10th by the end. Uh, yeah, but probably he was a still... pretty relaxed run for him overall. Yes, it was 113, and uh, Martin Van Riel won the race with a 107.55. So very, very quick running. Uh, a pretty unknown athlete. I, I guess he's done two 70.3s in his entire career in ITU guy. And he, what was he in the Olympics last session? He was fourth at the Olympics, and so fourth. he's okay. yeah, he's very established in the in the draft legal realm, but he's he's fairly new to 70.3, and and he has said that one more Olympic cycle before he switches over to long course full-time. And then just for context, he, he beat Daniel Backergaard. Um, Daniel came in second and that Daniel had a, a tremendous year last year. He's a top five athlete on the PTO rankings. So yeah, Daniel Backergaard, he was, he was third at 70.3 worlds last year. So yeah. really strong guy. Um, and then uh, Pierre Lacour was third. He actually had the fastest run of 107.36. He's another short course guy moving up. Um, and then fourth was Andreas Alvesberg, another another guy coming up from the draft legal. So exciting to see those guys in the the speed and how it translates to, to long course. Yeah, a lot of ITU people there on the women's side. I only I don't know know too many of the names here, so maybe there are some ITU athletes. But it was pretty much a two two woman race. Uh, Laura Phillip and Daniela Reef. Um, they came out close to each other on the swim. They biked together, which is really impressive. Uh, Laura Phillip to bike right alongside Daniela Reef at a 204. That's a quick pace. It's a fast course, but it's a quick pace, um, much faster than any of the other women present. And then Laura Phillip just ran away from Daniela. Yeah. Yeah. 119.30, just the fastest run of the day. And she was almost four minutes up on Daniela. But then, uh, like you said, way away from everybody else, the third place finisher uh, was 10 minutes behind Ten Daniela. Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, it was a sm smaller field. Uh, if you if you're uh, looking at the the PTO 
points breakdown, it's a pretty big drop off from from Laura at 100 points down to 60 points for 30th or for third because the the time gap was so big. Yeah, I mean, pretty impressive race for both of those, the top two, Danielle and Laura Phillips. I wonder, is this like, hey, Danielle didn't have a great year last year, but everything I've been seeing on social media, she's back to training really hard. I think she was finishing out a degree last year. I think she'll be back. That's why I say it's a little too early to, to make judgments. I think we're going to see her have a much better year this year. Dan, uh, Daniela will have the last laugh. Okay, so Michael's saying uh, St. George Ironman World Championship will be Daniela. I think she, Daniela, she's back. I think 2022, Daniela's back. Yeah, and, and I think uh, about the Dubai race, I think I had heard that she basically just went in, not really race ready, but she raced it because she's obligated to from being in Bahrain 13. Mm. Uh, she's done it every year, right? For the last however many handful of years. Yeah. And they used to have that triple crown. And that's why she always did it when yeah. there's the million dollar bonus if you won Dubai, Bahrain, and 70.3 worlds. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, we haven't seen much on Lucy Charles Barkley lately. So, so maybe she can bring some competition. But I think Daniela, even admittedly, she she didn't like how she performed in 2021. That I think she'll have a better year this year, and I think it already started. It's already showing with the result in Dubai, not a win, but a really good performance. Yeah, cool stuff. All right, so the next race, Clash Miami. I don't know what what I don't even know what the distances are in these Clash races. It's kind of confusing, um, but a really cool race nonetheless because we get, we get to see here at least on U.S. soil. It's really kind of the kickoff. Sam Long, Jason West, Ben Canute. That was your top three. Um, ben Canute, one of the fastest swimmers of the day, over two minutes faster than Sam Long. I, I should have gone back and looked what that deficit was in prior years or what, what Ben has been able to put on Sam historically. Sam's been focusing, though, on the swim. Uh, and he said he was proud of the swim that he had, but he knows that there's more work to do there. He came off or out of the swim in 28th, had the fastest bike by a pretty large margin over by over two and a half minutes to Ben Canute, uh, and then had a really strong run, not the fastest run, but the fourth overall fastest run. Jason West had the fastest run overall. I think what I'm impressed with in the men's side in clash Miami is, is one, just how much faster Sam was on the bike than everyone else there. We know he's the fastest athlete, but the clash Miami course is on a road course in the Miami speedway. It's not like the Daytona where they just go around the outside. There's turning. You have to stop pedaling. You have to lean into things. Um, Sam's not just a guy with big power, but he raced that course really well. Yep. And uh, the distance is that they're 100K distances, 2K and 80K okay. and 18K. Um, I don't know how they come up with these things. It's hard to keep track. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just uh, really impressive to, to outbike Ben Canute by that much because Ben is a really, really strong cyclist. Um, and then yeah. to be able to put together a good run. Uh, like he did. I mean, he ran within two minutes of Jason West, who's had some really, really fast runs the last uh, 18 months or so. Yeah. But this was a deep field too. It wasn't, uh, this was a little bit, a little deeper than the, the women's race. Uh, there were only 10 finishers on the women's side and a lot of DNFs. I think I, I saw that the temperature was kind of up in the eighties and pretty humid. And, and they started in the afternoon on Friday. And so uh, there was, there were some, some issues with some people out on the, once they got onto the run course. 
Um, yeah. yeah, but looking at the men's field, I mean, the the big the big question for me is the the guy that finished fourth, Yuri Kulin. It uh, looks like he's only 23 years old. He's from the Netherlands, and uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of results. I think he's coming from the uh, the draft league world too, and is relatively new to long course and, and fourth place uh, in front of guys like Tyler Butterfield and Jackson Laundry and Chris Leiferman, Jonas Schomburg. I mean, it's it was a good field, and uh, for him to come up and get fourth, that's that's pretty impressive. First time. Uh, it makes game. sense. Yeah. That, I mean, he had a really good swim. He was up there close to the front pack and second fastest run overall the bike. He did pretty well there as well. And I, and I would think that those draft legal athletes would love a course like clash Miami because you're getting turned and you're using your bike handling skills, which your traditional triathlete doesn't have. Yeah. This was a, this was a cool race and, and it's exciting to see uh, just kind of where this is going to go. Um, as we get more, more of these PTO races coming around or not PTO races, but the, the speedway races. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, women's race. Women's side. Yeah. Ashley gentle. She announced a few weeks ago that she is officially done racing a uh, world triathlon and draft legal type races. And she's going fully into long course. And so, uh, this was her first race as, as a 100% long course athlete. And she, uh, bested uh, Pamela Oliveira by eight minutes. Yeah, so, not a lot yeah. of competition for her there. Fastest swim, yeah. fastest bike, fastest run. Yeah. Um, Emma Pallant was, uh, she DNF'd. And um, actually, there was another another woman, Sarah Perez from Spain, had the fastest swim, but she crashed on the bike. And Why so, did Emma DNF? I don't know. I think she was just one of the, the people that the heat claimed on the run. Okay. Uh, yeah, there were only 10 finishers and looks like there were eight dnfs on the women's side so not a, not out, a good, guys come on yeah yeah that's tough it must have been a pretty tough day um all right so one more race that you want to cover on the recap side of things keith yep the first itu race or the first world triathlon race in north america was this past weekend in sarasota florida they had some really cold conditions and they ended up canceling the swim for the age groupers and for the juniors and the pros raced a very short swim. Uh, they raced a super sprint, 375, 10 K two and a half K and, uh, Richard Murray from South Africa, uh, took home the win. He hasn't raced in a couple of years. He had a, he was diagnosed with some, some sort of heart condition and had to stop racing and training seriously for a while. Wasn't able to go to the Olympics last year after finishing fourth in 2016. And so he was able to go out and get a win over Kevin McDowell by one second. And uh, he's actually racing under the the world triathlon flag for a little longer as he's switching nationalities from South Africa to the Netherlands. But uh, he's still young enough. I think he's got one more, one more Olympics in him. So it'll be fun to watch his comeback. All right. On the race recap side of things, we are going to recap 70.3 Lanzarote uh, race. Is that, yeah, this weekend. Uh, on the women's side, Ann Hogg, she has to be the favorite, right? I mean, there's a lot of good competition here um, with her, but I think in terms of PTO rankings, she's by far the favorite. She's a top five athlete. Cat uh, Matthews, Lucy Buckingham, Marjolaine Pierre. She's a real young, is, she's an, is she an ITU athlete as well? So a lot of ITU athletes yep. jumping in the mix in Lanzarote. Yep, and then the, the big one is going to be 
uh, Jess Learmonth from Great Britain. She was ninth at the Olympics, and she has an Olympic gold medal for the relay. And this will be her first long course race. She is unranked. It's so cool when you yeah. kind of look at the PTO stuff. You have an unranked. I don't know her. Um, and I would suspect a lot of triathlete fans that are not paying attention to the draft legal side wouldn't know her as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it's got you, a lot of good performances. Follow, uh, Super League. That's kind of where she's. If if you don't follow the the world triathlon, she was a, a pretty significant player in, in the Super League this last year. Cool stuff. Yeah, but she's um, relatively new to triathlon. She kind of picked it up later in life, and uh, just got got really fast right away. So she'll be fun to watch this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the men's side. It's, uh, I think your favorite is probably David McNamee, uh, but there's a really, really deep men's field in total. Uh, Florian Angerts and uh, Leon Chevalier, who's one of the best cyclists in the sport now, and uh, Bart Arnutz. Um, and there's Horse a few Stein. IG guys. Yep. And uh, Michael Weiss. Uh, but I think there's going to be some fast bikes in this race. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, Pierre Lacour and Leo Berger. Uh, coming on from from ITU or from draft legal, it'll be fun to watch them too. And it's just a huge field of men. I mean, that's the other thing I'm I'm seeing is like on the PTO start list, the, the men's field is significant. The women's field here is pretty long too, but there, this has to be 40, 50 guys on the men's side of things. Yeah, the men men's is almost 60. 60 so people? Pretty, yeah, pretty pretty good race. And I think this yeah. is that's where everybody's training right now. Right at this time of year, True. they go to Lindsay yeah. to train and they might not have to travel to get a good race in. That's great. Well, we'll see what we get out of that one. That'll be cool to watch. Uh, no Patrick Lana. He's hurt, no, he, right? Yeah, he's he crashed. Yeah. And so I think we're it's, not going to see him for a while. Yeah, I think it's up in the air as to whether or not he's going to be ready for St. George or not. That's a bummer. Yeah. Good stuff there. There's a ton of additional races to come. 70.3 Oceanside is one I'm eyeing. We'll cover that on our next podcast together, Keith. Um, so we'll have a bunch of the U.S. athletes at that one for us to cover, Lionel Sanders, Lionel Sanders included. Yeah, and uh, I think he tried to get Jan to race, but nothing's happened yet. So He, well, he always wants to race Jan. <laughs> biting off more than he can chew there, if you ask me. Yeah. So. yeah I'm, I'm sure Jan's focused on st george yeah he's gotta he's gotta be prepared for st george because it's gonna be a battle uh there's a ton of talk going on right now st george obviously in may with the course and all the climbing and everything that they'll be doing there not just on the bike but also the run it's going to be a real tough course for for a championship that's that's what i'm excited about yeah that'll be fun and see that's we we talked about if it should rotate or not it adds it adds something to it when it's somewhere else it does for the pros. Um, so if you missed that conversation, I agree. It adds something cool to watch the pros do. But if I'm an age grouper and you're trying to tell me, oh, you won your spot to South Africa or you won your spot to St. George, I'm going to be pissed because I want to go to Kona. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, our live audience member is, is nodding in agreement. <laughs> all right, good. <laughs> all right, well... uh I guess that, that's all all we have for this week. We'll, we're going to try to be more regular after this. We will. We will. Now that I have more sleep, we have more opportunities to have some of these where 
Um, Keith, I'm not falling asleep on you and my, my brain is here. So we will have more of these racing is, is underway. We know everyone that's listening, you're getting more into your training and you're focusing maybe on those mid season and late season races. We want to be there to help provide some guidance. Keith will, Keith will be providing the guidance. I'll provide the commentary. Um, so if you haven't, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you have questions, reach out to us um, via messenger on Instagram, or if you have a question again, hashtag try faster podcast. Um, thanks so much for watching or excuse me, listening. And we will talk to y'all in the next one. All right. Thanks. See you, Michael. See everybody.